0: Stolen emails, hacked websites and politicians behaving badly have dominated the headlines over the past week and look set to continue doing so as the election campaign rolls across the country. But other issues haven't gone away, one being inequality and the worrying gap between rich and poor across society. This week, Radio New Zealand's education, health and economic correspondents look at the problem and what's being suggested to address it. Education is one of
1: the biggest areas of government spending and its single biggest issue is the difference in performance between children from low-income families and those from well-off backgrounds. With the election looming, I've been visiting schools and early childhood centres in rich areas and poor areas to find out what teachers and principals think of the policy so far on offer and what they'd ideally like to see. My first stop is Kohimarama School in a wealthy part of Auckland. The principal, Diane Manners, wants policies that will lift student achievement by getting teachers to work together more closely.
2: There's incredible evidence out there from our own experts and and researchers that tell us that getting teachers to work together and to discuss data and to engage in sharing strategy around improving student achievement makes a massive difference to student achievement and teacher expertise and knowledge is the critical factor in improving learning.
1: Diane Manners says the National Party's controversial policy of paying teachers and principals to work in groups of schools comes close to that goal, but it needs more work. She says changes that affect all schools will benefit children in low-decile schools most.
2: Data tells us that the lower the um, socioeconomic um, status of the community in terms of their um, resourcing, the greater the impact the school has. So in fact, good policy, around building of teacher capacity and putting the right strategies in place is likely to be more visible in lower social communities than it is in higher, where the school still has an impact but the community is already bringing in quite significant resourcing to the child. Come on in.
1: Between 70 and 90 children a day attend Remuera Discovery Express Early Childhood Centre. One of the owners, Anna Jones, hopes the election will deliver a government that gives centres more help with children who have special needs.
3: The ministry has support in that area, but again they're quite pushed. So we have to wait if we have concerns about children. And in early childhood what we're wanting to do is try to pick them up at this age so that they have support in place for when they hit primary school and obviously the ratios of children to teachers changes quite dramatically. So that's an area I would like to see some more focus on.
1: The other owner, Sathia Sathyanathan, says 93% of the centre's teachers are fully qualified, but with more government funding, it could afford to go to 100%. The
4: funding maximum is given for 80% qualified teachers, and we would love to have 100% qualified teachers in our centres because that will lift up the quality. But
1: unfortunately, we are only funded for 80%. <laughs> At the other end of the North Island is the Rua Whānau Centre which offers a range of social services including an early childhood centre. The centre's Chief Executive Liz Kelly says it's benefited from the Government's focus on increasing enrolments in poor communities.
3: I'm happy with what we have right now. Um, I'm, like I said our centre has grown from 16 to 43 under the, the policies that are in place right now um, and I think that's brilliant. Um, We're looking at expanding the centre a bit more um, with the funding, the new funding that's been proposed. Uh, We know that there's a need out there because we do have a a wait list.
1: Liz Kelly says all of the centre's teachers are qualified, but she'd like to have more of them.
3: The ratio guideline for children to teacher is 1 to 10, but in our centre it's 1 to 8, and under twos is 1 to 6, and ours is 1 to 5. So... um, if there was more money, the first thing that I would do is have more teachers. So,
5: there's this level of the campus. There's one that drops down by into Mount Eden Prison. And then over at this side, if you drop
2: down Auckland over there. Auckland Grammar School's
1: playing fields are crowded with boys at lunchtime as the headmaster, Tim O'Connor, shows me around. He says the things politicians are proposing ahead of the election are not at the top of teachers' wish lists.
5: They've picked some, some key issues that are probably ones that the general public might understand but not necessarily are of the same priority to to, to educationists.
1: Tim O'Connor says National's investing in educational success policy needs refining because no principal can take two days a week out of their school to work with others. He says the Greens' plan of hubs providing health and welfare services in schools are fine if schools need them and want them and he is not an advocate of spending money on smaller class sizes or paying schools to stop appealing for donations, as Labour has proposed.
5: Put a mark in the sand, either say we're not funding schools enough so we you, you can charge fees and we will still have a scale for schools that are uh, lower socio-economic, we're going to give you more money and those who are higher socio-economic, you can charge your communities.
1: Tim O'Connor's top thought for change has nothing to do with money he wants to consider axing level one of the NCEA.
5: Do we drop it down so that there's something that's uh, exit from primary schooling into secondary schooling that might be of benefit to us all? Because we're all trying to collect entry data uh, into secondary into into our secondary schools. So is it better to just drop one of those off? What's the worth of NCEA level one anymore? To me, it's diddly squat, frankly. You know, uh, let's get rid of it uh, and just and maybe shift the national uh, examination to a lower level.
1: At nai nai College in the Hutt Valley, the principal, John Russell, says the political parties' intentions are good, but their policies are missing the mark.
5: What is good is that each of the parties are recognized at a critical role of education and they need to do something further. All right? And they are espousing the notion of creating more equity in the in the system, and that is a good intent. Their policies don't actually deliver on the espoused value
1: uh, effectively, I don't think. John Russell says raising the achievement of children from low-income families requires coordination of policy across more than just education.
5: There's absolutely got to be an alignment between social policy, educational policy, health and policy and employment. We don't seem to be able to get the big picture together. Simply put, in this school there's a huge social income disadvantage I would put a minimum wage of 17 bucks. I'd have free education to level four qualifications, so that would take students through to the first year of university or certificate diploma level in terms of polytech.: Good Okay, I've got a few Ne certificates.
3: Our, one of our, our top nephew team actually made
1: it to the It's assembly time at Randwick Park School in the south of Auckland. The principal, Karen McMurray, and associate principal, Felicity Oberlin-Brown, are not fans of the education policies promoted by either major party. They say teachers don't need to be paid more to cooperate with one another because they're already doing it, and smaller class sizes are not that helpful.
2: Research shows that smaller class sizes doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to raise student achievement. Quality teachers and providing teachers with the resources to do an effective job and making teaching attractive for people coming out of university is probably going to be one of the major effects on um, raising student achievement within Aotearoa.
1: Felicity Oberlin-Brown says the money National and Labour have allocated to their respective policies would be better spent providing more help for children with special education needs.
2: I can ask for support for a child but they don't qualify. So at the end of the day we still have children sitting in our classrooms who are expected to reach national standards But they may have a hearing loss, they may have what's called global developmental delay, they're not getting the support that they need to actually progress as much as they possibly could and it's a huge burden on the teacher to have some of these children in their classroom.
1: They say a big problem is that there's no early childhood centre in their area and that has a negative effect, especially on children with learning difficulties. Randwick Park also has no GP practice, which makes the Green Party's plan for health and welfare hubs and low decile schools attractive.
2: We have had a doctor coming in for the last two years, but she's only here for two hours on a Tuesday. So there's been no doctor surgery, no infrastructure, no there. infrastructure there for it. If we were a country town, one would think that there would be a doctor in that country town, so we've got the population of Randwick Park which is about five or six thousand. We don't have that infrastructure in here.
1: Health as well as education is plainly important for people in Randwick Park, but how is it shaping up as an election issue? Our health correspondent, Karen Brown, has been investigating.
4: How much it costs to see a doctor and the plight of poor New Zealanders who struggle to see their GP is a major issue this election. National has promised to fund free GP visits and prescriptions for children to age 13. That was matched by Labour, which added free visits for pregnant women and those 65 and over, while the Greens will make GP visits free for children until 18. While free visits for children is widely welcomed, the broad-brush approach, particularly for the elderly, has upset some doctors. What they worry about is the growing divide in health outcomes, depending on whether someone is rich or poor. So who exactly can't afford to visit a GP, given doctors' visits are already subsidised by the state? Well, I'm in a lower socio-economic area of Wellington, and I've come to see Michael. The
6: rents, that's... that's- rents that are paid and this is what was in the bank at the time and I had to and I had to get an amount to take to the winds to show them exactly how much was in there. How much is that?
4: $6.64. A South Wellington resident, whom we've agreed to name only as Michael, shows me the bills that piled up relentlessly after he was laid off, a predicament that sent his health and family circumstances on a downward spiral he couldn't control.
6: I got laid off in November 2012, and I've been in this job for uh, nine years. And then January, my birthday month, I um, suddenly went blind. I didn't know what was going on so I went to the doctors. Plus I had to go for my driver's license to reset a certain age (laughs) and um, found that I had uh, diabetes. It came as a shock to me which meant that my eyesight was really bad and then I was diagnosed with um, cataracts in both eyes and uh, things just went downhill from there.
4: Michael needed to see his doctor, Don Simmers of Newtown Medical Centre, But couldn't afford the $41 bill or the extra to collect vital diabetes medications afterwards. Dr Simmers did what he's faced with doing for 150 or 200 patients a year, dipping into other money available to the practice for issues including long-term conditions and extra nursing help.
7: Because you're never going to stop somebody smoking who's knee deep in stress and worry about their lives. You're never going to stop people eating inappropriately if they're they're still knee deep in in social issues. So you actually have to deal with these issues first.
4: Sitting in his $315 a week rental near the airport, Michael says without the help, he doesn't know where he or his family would be right now.
6: I I don't know if I would have been around now, to be quite honest, because I was in a bad way. I couldn't work, I couldn't, well, diabetes is not a very nice thing to have.
4: The Medical Association Chair, GP Mark Peterson, points out that if Michael lived in an area of major social deprivation, government help to so-called very low-cost access practices would slash his GP fee to $17.50 or less. But he says even that's often too much, and extra subsidies must be targeted directly to the people who need them.
7: I think that $17.50 at the moment for some people is actually quite a barrier. And so we think the level of subsidy needs to be applied to the patient, not to the practice, so that individual patients can actually receive the care that they need at an affordable cost.
4: He's disappointed in a Labour pledge to increase very low access funding, saying more money's always welcome, but it's perpetuating a flawed system. He also confirms some doctors are unimpressed with the offer to make GP fees free for 65s and over.
7: That's the feedback that we're getting from members as well, that actually we need to be targeting people who at the moment struggle to afford to go and see their doctor. And those are usually younger people. I guess we look at the older age group and... and If I was doing that, then I would be looking at an over-85 age group because it's actually those, the frail elderly, who often attend really frequently, whereas the 65-year-olds, newly retired, often do have a significant amount of capital behind them.
4: I'm at Pororua Union and Community Health Services, and it's in the heart of Cannons Creek, Pororua, and it's a very deprived community with a lot of complicated health issues, including rheumatic fever. There aren't many older patients, in fact at the Cannons Creek practice where GP Brian Betty works, many don't make it to their 60s.
8: We have very few people over the age of 65 at this practice and I'll be blunt about it because life expectancy of a lot of the people in this area are less.
4: 90% of patients attending the Pororua Union and Community Health Service are classified as highly deprived, half are Pacifica, a quarter Māori and the rest mainly refugees. Because of this, it is funded as a very low-cost access practice. The maximum
8: charge you can charge in a practice like this is $17, but for us, we charge our maximum fee is $10. A lot of the patients are charged $5, and then we've got a very large proportion of the patients who don't pay anything at all because they can't afford to. And we have a deliberate policy of not turning people away. So regardless of their income, what they're able to afford, they will be seen at this practice.
3: A
4: patient Samoan-born mother of two Larissa Tuilupe says the service is exactly what she needs. It was affordable to me when I was on the benefits. It's even more affordable now that I am working. But Dr. Betty says the health needs they face are huge and complex.
8: We have the highest rate of rheumatic fever within two kilometres of the surgery in the Western world. Now, rheumatic fever is a is a disease that disappeared from the UK disappeared from the US years ago. He
4: says extra funding to tackle rheumatic fever has been positive although it could take a decade to see the results. Like a canary in the mine he says this effort has also alerted health and other government agencies to wider social issues that should be addressed. He says current efforts need to continue and practices like his need extra resources for the work they face. But he and others all concede the answers lie beyond health substandard housing being the main driver of problems. Whatever the reasons, the whole health system is facing the fallout. A general physician at an Auckland hospital, Robin Toomath, says there is a parallel universe operating that many New Zealanders simply aren't aware of. I've had some conversations with people that have astonished me in recent times when I've talked about the reality of what are they going to do at the time when they leave hospital, they've been in hospital overnight or two with a chest infection and then be wanting to send them out. Some of these people are living on the street and you, you know, I've asked people how much money they were going to get and what was their plan from the moment they leave hospital and for some of them it's actually just to live on the street. Dr Tumath says there are people coming to hospital for things they might have been able to fend off if they'd been able to see a GP earlier. There's a whole sector of the community that you actually never see in hospital, and these are the you know, the, the well-off and well-organised individuals who proactively see their general practitioner when they start to become unwell and have their vaccinations and so forth. But there's a big section of the community who don't interact with their general practitioner in this way. You know, these people come to hospital as their only recourse. She says the basic lifestyles of many patients seem poor, and housing is key. A Wellington GP and spokesperson for the Child Poverty Action Group, Nikki Turner, says free GP visits for children, whether it's to 13 or 18, would make a big difference but won't solve health inequity. I absolutely applaud free health care for, for children. But we need to do more. We need to really look at the lives for people in very financially constrained situations and see all the barriers for them through the system. Dr Turner, an immunisation expert, says New Zealand has turned poor immunisation around and could do the same on this topic. But she says it needs a plan and a debate over how to fund it, with targeting as the doctors want or a more universal approach. I would be willing to pay more taxes for our health services, make more of it universal. Once we have a good universal base,
3: then we can recognise what we need to target more effectively.
4: But is the economy in the right shape to give health an even larger slice of the pie? Over to our economics correspondent, Patrick O'Mara.
0: And welcome to the Treasury. The Secretary of the Treasury, Gabriel MacLoof. Let's start. I mean, the headline is that the economy is growing strongly. In last Back week's pre election grow economic forecast, Mr. McLew reiterated that the economy will continue to experience above average growth, if not quite as fast as earlier forecast, due to slumping global dairy prices. Nowhere has this been more apparent than in Auckland. Restaurateur Scott Brown says Dinah's confidence has returned.
1: The rains had come off if you like and the the, the French champagne was back in vogue and and the long lunches were starting to come back and we
5: didn't have to wait till Friday to have those. We could have those on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday which is is great for uh, people like us in the hospitality industry.
0: Firms are also chipper. A director at Precinct Properties, Graham Wong, says office space in Auckland's inner city is at a premium with big and small companies vying for floor space. Vacancy rates that we're seeing
5: there now The uh, market is very strong and uh, I think now for the near term foreseeable future uh, will remain so.
0: Construction booms in Auckland and earthquake damaged Christchurch are a big contributor to this surging market and will remain so. But ANZ's Chief Economist Cameron Bagri says it's not just these two regions that are enjoying better times. You go out there across the regions, you see what's going on across Taranaki with oil exploration. You go down to places like Ashburton, you see what's going on there in regard to irrigation-style development across the the Canterbury Plains. So yes, we can point to the obvious economic stimulus that's coming from the likes of construction, and of course it's a bit of a bellwether in regard to leading those sort of gauges, but New Zealand's economic story under the bonnet is far more broader than having a sole construction centricity to it. Nevertheless, growth is uneven. Empty commercial real estate lists many provincial towns, where jobs remain hard to come by. And the managing director of Wellington-based, high-end retailer Cacordian Staines, John Milford, says the fast-growing economy is not being reflected in his sales.
8: It certainly doesn't feel like it in Wellington. Um, you know, if the country's never had it so good, then I don't think we're feeling it that way in Wellington. Wellington's had a lag effect for a number of reasons, I think, and, and, and certainly we're not enjoying in the retail trade the sort of um, increases that are happening in Christchurch, off for obvious reasons, but Auckland are enjoying a much better time than they are here in Wellington.
0: The fast-growing economy has yet to translate into heftier pay packets. Beryl Nana says many workers outside of Auckland and Canterbury feel the economic boom has bypassed them. You get people asking,
4: "Is this as good as it gets?" Because in the past, if something's growing at, if New Zealand economy was growing at four percent per annum, you would literally see that sort of growth. There are still these signs and queries about where is this four percent growth? I don't believe the numbers.
0: Why is my pay packet not growing, or why don't I feel better than I was? And pockets of poverty exist.
3: We have everything on the shelves, from bank Demand
0: for to food parcels farmers. at Mosgiel's Community That's Food it. Bank has risen by a third this year. Its coordinator, Michelle Kerr, says the rising cost of living and few full-time jobs have put more families under pressure, including ones with both parents working.
3: Just tough times, people just not being able to make ends meet. Yeah, for what for whatever reason, there is no particular group that we have above anyone anyone else. I think the employment issue is definitely an issue with people not wanting to employ employers not wanting to employ full time. It's cheaper for them to employ two part time staff than one full time person. Um, so I think that's probably got a big bearing on it.
0: The economy remains vitally important to people. When asked about the most important problem facing the country, a Roy Morgan poll in May found economic issues dominated, with 44% of New Zealanders mentioning it, more than twice the next topic, social issues.
5: Get yourself enrolled before August the 20th
0: and you'll find voting a lot faster on election day. So, in an election year, what are the main parties saying to keep the economy rolling along, with a promise of more jobs and better wages? all believe they have the recipe to create a high-growth, high-wage economy. But the results in the last 50 years have been underwhelming, with growth coming in fits and starts, while wages and productivity have been low by international standards. Business New Zealand's Chief Executive, Phil O'Reilly, says he's broadly happy with the current direction taken by the national-led government. The challenge for, for both of the sides of politics coming out of the selection, is how do you make a three to four percent growth rate in the economy, or even a five percent growth rate in the economy, just something we can do without the Reserve Bank coming and smacking it on the ear with a, with a big interest rate rise. Uh, and there are some things that are going on that are absolutely on track with that. So infrastructure development, uh, reduction of the tax burden, uh, you know, lower government spending, uh, skills that are that are actually used in the economy, higher higher proportions of capital spend in businesses. So a number of things; those things are going on. But you know, we'd be concerned if, if we lost momentum around RMA change, around regulatory reform more generally, around labour market uh, flexibility. We'd be concerned if you started seeing some of those things either stop or go backwards, because uh, I think that would actually start to become, become quite a headwind to the capacity of the economy to actually grow at fours and fives over time. Businessman Graham Wong says building up the high-value export sector in areas like food
5: is the key. Generally, New Zealand's Inc has been doing a good job there, Um, but um, we certainly do need to add as much value as we can in those areas where we we have competitive advantage.
0: Do you think we're doing enough in that area? Uh, We can always do more. The government points out exports rose 12% to more than $51 billion in the year to June, despite the persistently high dollar eating away at exporters' competitiveness. And it's not just dairy, logs and meat. The Economic Development Minister Stephen Joyce points out information and communication technology and high-tech manufacturing grew to nearly 8% of total exports, but that doesn't impress entrepreneur and exporter Selwyn Pallet. He says the government's hands-off approach to the dollar has hurt the very firms it should be fostering.
5: Stephen Joyce will tell you if you lift the minimum wage it will do huge damage to the economy and we'll lose jobs. But, of course, the exchange rate going up, so if I'm selling goods in the U.S. and you lift the New Zealand exchange rate, what are you doing to me? You're lifting the New Zealand dollar wages that I have here, and so it does huge damage. And what happens is, and I've got this situation right now, do I hire more people in New Zealand when my target market is the U.S., or do I, at this exchange rate, well, actually it's... it's. It's on par. So why don't I go to the market where I should be, which is the US, and start hiring in the US? Or conversely, why don't I go to Poland and hire people at half or quarter price compared to New Zealand? So the exchange rate makes a difference. The
0: Labour Party is promising a raft of changes, including taxing capital gains and plans to lift savings, which it argues will take pressure off interest rates and the persistently high dollar. The Council of Trade Union's President, Helen Kelly, says they're needed to build a diverse and resilient economy and help workers get sustainable jobs with decent wages.
3: We do see a much more balanced monetary policy, which will not only grow the other sectors of our economy uh, that have been failing under this government and allow them to revive, but will create good jobs and will rebalance things like the housing costs, hopefully.
0: Yet a buoyant economy usually favours the incumbent government in an election year. The Finance Minister, Bill English, was taking nothing for granted at last week's pre-election economic and fiscal update.
8: We have a a once-in-a-generation opportunity to sustain those relatively robust growth rates, uh, which
0: we will do so if we're re-elected. The main political parties are offering different policies which they believe will deliver a high-growth, high-wage economy. Voters will get their chance to deliver their verdict on how the economy will be managed and it's national wealth divided for the next three years on September the twentieth. But whatever the outcome, Mosgill's community food bank coordinator, Michelle Kerr, says her organisation will always have a role to play. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. And we can. We have enough support from our communities that we can you know we will be here to stay. Yeah. Which which is good because it means there are no hungry there should be no hungry people.
0: I'm Patrick O'Mara, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at or send us a tweet at rnz_insight. This program was written and presented by John Gerritson, Karen Brown and Patrick O'Mara. It was produced by Graham Acton and technical production by Steve Burridge.